Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Newman. I'm here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. We are also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. And listeners, it's been a while since we've been here. I know we've had a few weeks off, but it's because we have a lot of big news. Actually, before we get to the news... We're going to talk about who's on the show today. Sure. We have Gary Lightbody from Snow Patrol. Mr. Lightbody. That's right. They got an album out called Wildness. They're on tour know. right now. <laughs> is that how you refer to them? I don't know, Mr. man. Lightbody. We're all out of it right now. <laughs> this has been crazy. So if you're listening uh, to this, uh, we're going to get to Gary in a bit, but if you're listening to this, please know that we've been worked to the bone. We- <laughs> we're, zo- we're all pieces of shit right now. <laughs> we're we're oh squeezing this in. Shane's- I feel like Mike feels real good, though. I don't feel good. I don't, I, I don't I feel, feel like good. Mike feels good, which makes me feel even worse. I just came off a big interview, so I'm yeah, that's true. Jacked. Yeah, that's so, true. So for listeners, there's a lot going on. So so a couple things. Uh, first of all, uh, we did a live show uh, a little bit ago for Just for Laughs. It, it, I thought it went great. Everyone came out. Uh, thank you everyone who came out to that. I think we'll talk more about that in another episode when we have the Reggie Watts uh, interview mm-hmm. for you guys. But the other thing that we're doing and something that we announced at the live show is that uh, we're doing a TV show for Crave TV. Yeah. Pre- premiering December 21st. Big deal. It's very exciting. And that's why we haven't been podcasting lately. Yeah. Eight episodes, eight feature conversations with huge guests. I just sat down and talked with one of them. Mm -hmm. She's going to be on the show. They built us a set. They built us a damn set. Eight digital desserts where Shane talks to celebs and notable people. So that's been taking up all the time, really. And Max, you have a fucking album coming out. Yeah. You know what? I got to say that um, back in the spring, I think, when we originally had the conversation about this TV show idea and we were looking at the calendar and when everybody was available to shoot and the crew and etc etc they said okay we can shoot this show probably end of september early october and then manager ash said uh that's probably the worst possible time for you to ever do this idea and i was like it'll be fine you know how i say that it'll be <laughs> yeah fine. everything's fine yeah yeah and then it wasn't fine <laughs> no it ended up being kind of a like the craziest time because we've had to do a ton of promo we've been home for the most part but uh, things in Arkell's world are kind of crazy. And also, doing a television show for the first time is a learning curve. Like there, There's things that you, th- you think you know, but you don't know. There's bumps in the road that you don't expect. And Anytime it's your first day doing anything, it's oh, yeah. always high tension and weird. And you're trying to act like it's not. Yeah. Then it creates more... Uh, yeah, it was, so it, it was. Weird. But I think uh, it's going to be awesome. Like I, I do have faith that um, the people editing the show will make it look great. Uh, <laughs> I won't be around. I'll be on tour. Yeah, you uh, leave. So we had to shoot in this window because yeah. you're leaving on tour. Uh, it, it's it's been. I have a baby coming. Well, this is it. The craziest shit. Like you have a baby coming. Two days overdue. You have a very young baby right now. Yeah, she's I'm here. about to have a baby in two days. Max! Oh! No, no, no. The, an album. Your record. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you old Still, dog. that's cool. Yeah. So. Uh, so Shane, why are you so tired? Just a lot of stuff going on. I've been dealing with some real estate issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a great sentence. <laughs> Nothing to do with any of our creative work. Just no, it's 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 really been stressing me out. And like, oh um, my god! And I didn't ask you about it today. No, sorry. I, yeah, I'm fucking real on pins and needles. If that's an oh expression. man, sorry, yeah. I didn't ask. No, you about no, this. I don't okay, I have to ask you about. It. You, do you want to get to it now? No. Okay, cool. It's like all I've been thinking about oh, no. is this thing. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk off. But we're, we're getting through it, and I, and I think we're going to be, I'm going to be uh, very excited for people to, to see see the show, because I think it's going to be cool. I do. I think so. I think it's been a learning curve, and honestly, only the people that listen to this podcast will, will know that we're talking about it. Hopefully, the people that just, I think there's over a million subscribers on Canada's premier streaming service, Crave. Yeah. Uh, they might just be seeing it for the first time. They're like, what's up with these guys? We recognize the dude from the band Arkells, but what's with the other two guys? And, you know, we hope that 
doing over 100 episodes of this podcast prepared us somewhat mm-hmm. for the show. But for you listeners, let you know a secret. We didn't know what the fuck we were no, doing. No, we had no idea. The first first few that we shot were, I'm not going to say a disaster, but we certainly didn't have the flow that we well, come to know us for. Well, it's weird because as, you know, cause we talk to each other all the time as friends and on this podcast, but when there's cameras rolling... It's just a whole different thing. Like talking to you guys right now, it feels so easy compared to the first couple episodes of that television show. Just because there's just the three of us in this room right now. It was laborious in a way that wasn't very fun. You were sick as well. Oh yeah, I never get sick in the first two episodes. I was sick, so like. yeah. And you can imagine, like they build us this set. We walk on, the lights go up. There's all these crew guys. There's all these. I mean, if, if you go to our, our Instagram at Michael Much, you can see some behind the scenes stuff. And but to your point, Max and Shane. I know you're burned out right now. Max, I know you're burned out right now. Mm-hmm. I think much like the show, we're going to pep up this energy and this podcast is going to be great. It's and I hope great. that people love the TV show. No, I feel so good to be potting with you guys. They're just old school style. OG. Getting back to our roots. Yeah, it's great. And you got a record coming out. Yeah. So the last uh, couple of weeks, I mean, there's just been a lot of planning, um, you know, trying to do fun promo things, uh, you know, to launch the record. So, that's, so if you follow our cows on Instagram, you know what's going on. Uh, but I, the last two days, I've had to be up at six in the morning to do. Uh, I saw on your Insta, you're on all these morning shows. Oh my god, doing the morning show circuit. Uh, and Does that mean no late nights with Dan Hamilton? No late nights with Dan Hamilton. I've had to go to bed early. But uh, the one funny thing that was uh, the first day in this building, actually, uh, there was this guy, really nice guy, um, who's a Raven Master. Do you know what that is? Of course we know what Raven Master is. I think I, I could be in that term wrong. But he's like this British guy. I can almost guarantee you are. Yeah. Is that Raven Master? Is, is that, that a title in the union? I gotta check the book. Look What's at, a Raven Master? Look it up. Raven Master. I think it's a Raven. Like that's a position here at a television station. No, no, no. He he was a guest. He put out a book, I think. Oh, mm. uh, he's like a British character wearing a weird uh, old timey British outfit. And he's got a big belly. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> what? Are you sure? Look at look at Raven sure this Master. This wasn't a fever right dream, or I, you weren't I sleeping. I think it was a. I think it was a Raven Master. Oh look at the word Raven Master. Ra- I'm typing this in right now. Raven Master. Yeah. And like this is his celebrity name. Yeah, no, oh, Raven Master book. I think that's what. Oh his, my goodness. Let's see what he looks like. Yeah, you described him pretty accurately. Did I get him? Yeah. What is a Raven Master? That's the Raven Master. Oh, there he is. So, my life with the Ravens at the Tower of London. This is mm. what he And his book publisher guy was a dude from Hamilton. But, like, just like a nice British guy. But it was just like, oh, so I saw him and then we did the show. And, and like, in the first thing in the morning, I don't really like talking to anybody. I, I need about, like, two hours to kind of get into the flow of the day. So, that happened. And then the next day, like, this morning... There's the Raven Master again. We're just on the same. Oh, oh! You and Mike D are doing press, but the Raven Master's on the same press schedule. He's on the same press schedule. Oh, that's hilarious! So every day we're seeing the Raven Master, and then I was like, <laughs> "You know the thing." And by the way, this guy couldn't be a nicer guy. But it's one of those things where it's like you have enough energy to make small talk once with the person, but twice is just asking. So I kind of go, I kind of hid in the corner, and then. I was trying to hide in the corner, just not just to not talk to anybody. I just don't want to talk to anybody mm-hmm. until we actually have to go on air. And then this uh, this crew that works for Screamers, do you know that production? Yeah. It's like a Halloween uh, haunted house thing you go through. Yeah, exactly. Very scary. They did, wrecked- did you go as a kid? No. Oh, Screamers was like the shit when I was Yeah, a kid. and they, this, these guys are kind of like magicians or something. Oh. Anyway, they recognized me, and they're big fans. They went to the rally, and they're like, hey, can we do a magic trick on you? And I was like, <laughs> okay. But I was so tired, and I was like not... And they had makeup on, and they're like kind of scary looking, and I just like was not in the mood for magic. <laughs> Too much pressure to react. Well, yeah. this is it. It was like 7 a.m., and they wanted to do magic tricks on me, and so they get... Um, 
like this he's like hold this nail and it's like a three inch like metal nail he's like it's a real nail right and they're like their buddies filming it and I am like yeah it felt like a real nail and then he puts it up his nose oh jeez like, I don't like that trick. kind of magic oh and it totally grossed me out and it was a very impressive trick and I was just like get me the fuck out of here this is just too much for you're me. saying this out loud no in my oh. mind by the way if either the Raven Master uh, or the Magic guys are listening you guys are super fucking nice and I'm very talented and I am sorry for being just a morning grouch but anyway and the day kind of went on from there and uh, there's just been a lot of interviews and for the most part everyone's been really nice everyone's excited about the record and I'm just complaining right now so I don't yeah so I'll stop that but then here's the thing so we had an interview just now uh, which I watched we're sitting on the set where this interview just took place which will be one of the eight feature Crave conversations can I say who it is or no I think think Crave and all them want to do a big announcement for the eight names okay cool well in any case this, this certain celebrity walks in who's younger than me way more accomplished and treats everybody way better she walks in the room <laughs> like than you do as oh that. than me oh my god and then I just felt like a fucking shithead because she walks in the room she shakes the hand of every cameraman she's, that's overdoing it a little no, bit no, but she, the, it was genuine in man. the coolest way not no no there was not a hint of like fakeness like, where she's like give me some skin no no <laughs> I'm thinking of the coolest <laughs> oh, way the possible. Coolest way. <laughs> yeah. No, in the most like genuinely sincere way. <laughs> Give me some skin. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> I know. Um, and then I was just reflecting on my own day and be like, you're just a piece of shit, Max. You're a piece of shit? Me, yeah, oh. big time. Don't be so hard on yourself. How did the Raven Master treat people? He was really nice. Yeah. He could have been nicer. Did he say like hi to the crew and everything? Ah, uh, probably. You could learn a thing or two uh, from the Raven Master. From the Raven Master, Master and this this huge celebrity that we just had on. I would love it if I'm watching you do press tomorrow and you're wearing the Raven Master's coat. <laughs> it's a cool Oh I recommend what is a Raven Master? I don't know. I don't this know. is the first one. I gotta read the Can book. Can we say he's one of the eight? We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> this no. show's got wings. Geo, check out his book though. It just dropped. What's it called again? It's called The Raven Master. My right. stories of the Raven at the Tower of the I'll London, tell you, Tower this fucking Raven Master's got more press than our, <laughs> our fucking Crave show right now. Oh, boys, it does feel good to be back here. It is great. This is good. It's good. Actually, speaking of podcasts, I. Uh, uh, you went on our friend of the pod, Auntie Donahue's That's podcast. Right. I listened to a bit of it. Shane, oh, did you I haven't catch listened any to it yet. No. Oh, I heard you on it. No, Max went on Anne's podcast to talk about podcasts. Oh. And he says so many nice things about us. Oh, do I? Oh, I'll listen for sure. <laughs> <laughs> on, our, on my drive to basketball, I play on Monday nights. I was driving over uh, to Hoop, and so I had it on in the car. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, I figured at some point they would get to our podcast yeah. since you were speaking about podcasts. Yeah. And I couldn't believe how nice you were about yeah. it. I recorded that a long time ago. I don't remember anything. <laughs> Your opinions have since changed yeah. <laughs> after shooting those eight what episodes. Is, what's uh, Anne's reactions to it? She was very nice. She said nice things. Like what? I'm, well, if I'm like gonna what? Say, I'm going to sit here and recount it on my podcast how Anne and Max said nice things. It's Just go listen point. to Anne's. Go uh, listen to Anne's. Yeah. But I'm only halfway through. I might have turned it off after I, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. they've done talking about me. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you think she'll ask me to ever go on? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> well, what would you talk? So her podcast is called Nobody Cares. I went on to talk about my love of Star Trek, specifically Star Trek The Next Generation. Max went on to talk about his love of podcasts. Shane, if Anne oh, did I would, invite you on, I would talk about? absolutely be the best guest to have to talk about alt comedy and the art form behind it sure yeah and she's a comedy nerd too yeah she talks a bit about that on um, in the conversation with Max. like nathan fielder eric mm-hmm. andre all the editing tricks employed all the ways to do it it is like a magic trick in a way <laughs> it <laughs> is. That, that's up. a good yeah. time no no i'm not pumping myself up uh, i'm talking about like how the yeah, really sure. great people do it yeah, yeah. just because you play basketball doesn't mean you're michael jordan yeah you know? sure, sure. but you can respect the art form yeah, yeah. and break it down mm-hmm 
Guys, what else is going on? I mean, we promoted the show. We had the live show. Again, we will talk more about the live show, uh, which was an experience unto itself. This has been a crazy stretch. All the prep we should have been doing for the Crave show went into actually preparing this live show with Reggie Watts. And then it was like, oh, yeah, and you're shooting on Monday. I know. One thing I do want to say, though, it feels like we've just come on here for a good 10 minutes and complained. Mm Mm-hmm. I, and I know you guys, I'm so grateful that we have a TV show. It's kind of insane. It is great. Like, what a weird, wonderful, crazy thing to get that after doing 100 episodes of a pod. To I be honest, I think I took it for granted. I, I, I was like, yeah, whatever, TV show. Like, I didn't really think about it. And then when we got to set, I was like, oh, yeah, they built this whole fucking thing for us. And there's all these camera guys, and there's, like, producers and stuff. Yeah. I really took it for granted, so... Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see the end product. We can't wait till all eight are edited and ready to go, and you guys can binge them uh, for the holidays because they'll all be out at once, dropped to be streamed yeah. on December 21st. Uh, last thing uh, that I just want to tell you is that I met a very famous celebrity uh, in Austin, Texas this past weekend. What? David Byrne, Talking Heads. I saw ah, that on your Instagram. Yes. I thought, honestly, if, uh, if I'm being honest with you guys, that selfie would would get a lot more likes Mm -hmm. i thought it would be it would really blow up the the instagram david byrne uh in in certain circles is a big deal so like for instance your wife messaged she said oh my god that's cool and like that's like her favorite well this is it so people who are into like cool music from the 80s and into like kind of art culture know and would get really excited about that uh post but uh but it was definitely one of those times where like i saw him backstage and i was like i'm definitely gonna get a photo and i kind of interrupted him like when he was like in the middle of like dealing with something had to do with his show oh geez. it was one of those i mean he ended up being very nice he actually lived in hamilton for a couple of years as a kid and I asked him, like, where? And he's like, up on the top part. I was like, the mountain? He's like, yeah, up on the mountain. Wow, and, I didn't know that about And him. the reason why I got a folding bike to bring on tour back in the day was because I read his book. And he and his whole crew have folding bikes. Because the reason why I recognize them is that he rode into Artist World on his bicycle. So, like, here's this, like, this dude with white hair. He's, like, dressed kind of cool. Like, riding around backstage. I'm like, who is? Oh, of course that's David Byrne. Who else? And and then his all of his crew that he's with, and he has, like, a big band, are all riding on. His folding. own champagne boys. Yeah. Exactly, it's true. All on folding bikes, and he. Um, but anyway, it, was, it was that one. I was like, I hate you know. Do you mind if we just get a quick photo? We're big fans, and I told him how much I like folding bikes. He's like, cool, no problem. But he did the thing where he went to go. His like tour manager needed to ask him a question, but it wasn't like a one word answer kind of question. Oh god! So they were working at logistics. You're sitting there awkwardly. And I was just standing there for like two minutes and it felt like two hours and you're just like and then finally we did the selfie while you were standing there in the two minutes did you like look at text well stuff? mike was with me so oh, me mike and D's mike are just like so cool bikes and we like pretend to be checking out the specs <laughs> on the bikes we're like oh yeah i like the pedals on that or whatever kicking the tires adjusting <laughs> the seats like yep it's a good bike <laughs> great bike oh yeah it's black cool yeah so anyway that's my david bird story behind the curtain man. and i found i think he suffers from not looking like the way you'd expect why his <laughs> suffers yeah because i Elmer? find bill murray always looks like bill murray <laughs> it's a tragic affliction <laughs> no when you don't look like yourself right like you're not going to be as popular like on Instagram if you get a picture I don't of think he's that recognizable you're saying if you ran into like Ray Liotta and you get a selfie with Ray Liotta but people don't recognize it as Ray Liotta yeah, if, if he doesn't look the way you picture him, David Byrne people picture a certain way. Well, they, and in they, your photo, I was like, that's David Byrne? I had to look at it for like five minutes. Well, I, I mean, first of all, I don't think David Byrne... People's image of David Byrne is literally from the documentary Stop Making Sense in 1984. That, mm-hmm. was, that was like 40 years ago or whatever, or 30 years ago, or however many years ago. But his music people still listen to today. Yeah. 
And he's just like, I, he's actually a very good looking older guy. Yeah, I'm not saying he suffers from being ugly. It's just he doesn't <laughs> look the way you think he looked. Yeah, like from he, 1984. Exactly. I'm just explaining yeah. to you why your post sure. didn't do well. Uh, okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why your post didn't He's handsome well. as hell. Yeah. <laughs> uh, man. Okay. You should be a social media consultant, Shade. <laughs> I am. This family tree, I am. 6,000 followers in six months. Yeah, you you are like listen, honey. That's I do. What you do. I'm consulting another guy here. His name is Troy. He runs a fitness account, and I I'm his uh, social media consultant. Uh, are you charging? Charging a fee? No, it's always free. <laughs> it's always free. You, <laughs> you put it people. out in the world, and it'll come back to you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. All right, let's get it. Oh, man. Well, guys, uh, again, it's been great to sit and talk with you, but we need to get to this interview because today on the show, we have Gary Lightbody, uh, who is the front man for Snow Patrol. The Bodster. <laughs> it's a different nickname sorry, every time. Sorry. No, I love it. Yeah. The Light Man. Uh, yes. So uh, I sat Air down. I, well, you know what? You always talk about um, the reason we got Noel Gallagher is yeah. because. Greg Stewart was a huge mm. fan. So it's like, if someone's a big enough fan, I will tell you, Greg Stewart was such an advocate yeah. of Snow Patrol. He loves his band. He was like... You uh, prepped all the questions, basically. <laughs> yeah, he was, I loved it, because Greg was like, like as we we're going through questions, he's throwing out things. He's giving us like some back uh, backstory articles. And uh, I will say that Greg uh, did not lead us astray, because I thought uh, Gary was a great conversation, a super thoughtful guy. And like leading up to it, I hadn't listened to a ton of Snow Patrol. I obviously know the hits, like Chasing Cars, mm. Obviously, that was very popular because it was on the big Grey's Anatomy scene where I think Izzy's being carried out or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not an expert on Grey's Anatomy uh, or necessarily Snow Patrol, but leading up to the interview, I listened to a bunch of Snow Patrol. Really, really good band. Yeah, man. So, guys, congrats on the show. Thank you. Excited you to be doing it with you guys. Excited for all of our listeners to see it when it is out. Do you want to get to Gary Lightbody? Let's do it. Give me a quick level. Yeah, one, two, one, two. Nice. Uh, yeah, my day's been all right, man. Busy, but got to work, you know? <laughs> uh, when did you get into town? Uh, Sunday night, late. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I had yesterday, yesterday walking around. Yeah, just hanging around in the city? Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. You've been to Toronto a lot? Yeah, we've been a few times before. Uh, I don't know how many times exactly, but it's been quite, been, been, been quite a few times, yeah. Stand out as a city that you you enjoy, or is it just yeah. like the yeah? Our, uh, my my guitar tech uh, Coatsy lives here, so um, so that yeah, this is one of our one of our family homes. Um, you know the, uh, the 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 he's been my guitar tech for twenty. 21 years wow so uh so these are hometown shows for him when you guys hit toronto yeah 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 nice I, it's funny whenever i talk to touring musicians and people that spend a lot of time all over the world you know i guess every city you go to people are like oh do you like our city which is kind of this inherent needy thing that people have <laughs> but do, are there any cities where you're like no th- this city is shit oh i don't think i would say it was shit but i might parse it out with um yeah yeah it's fine it's good <laughs> so, uh, so maybe that gives it all away anyway but but no i don't have to do that here yeah uh, all right well i kind of want to start uh with songwriting because between yourself and johnny uh you guys are some real songwriting heavyweights and i guess functionally i'm interested in how songwriting works within your band Mm-hmm. the dynamic between you guys and, and like, is it sort of collaborative with everybody or is it like you bringing in sort of um, a fully formed idea and then letting people build around it or are you guys writing collaboratively? Um, it's sort of evolved and devolved over the years <laughs> and sort of concertiners in and out. With, uh, w- uh, w- the, the way this ha- album happened was I 
brought a bunch of ideas, you know, at various times because it was a long process. You know, it was five years in total. And you're a pretty um, prolific writer, anyway. Yeah, I I have been for other other things and yeah. and, and, and times gone by for Snow Patrol for yeah. sure. Um, and a, a pro- pro- prolific music writer uh, for sure. Um, lyrics not so much these days. Um, I tend to wait until. I know I'm going to record a song before I write lyrics Interesting. on it. So you have your melody, you have your structure. Have melody, structure, everything's recorded. Music's generally recorded before I'll start writing lyrics because the lyrics take an awful lot out of me and especially took a lot out of me on this record because hmm. it was very personal and I didn't want to I didn't want to write a whole bunch of stuff and then go, well, that's not going to make the record. So, um, But as far as the initial ideas go, I took... I, I take them to Garrett, uh, Jack Knife Lee, yeah, um, and him and I work on them to begin with, uh, and that's been the case for the last couple of records, uh, where him and I will start the song together, and then everyone will, once we have a kind of a structure, then everyone will come play, play on it and write their parts and come, you know, like be, you know, it'll, but it'll be, it wouldn't be. We don't tend to jam that well. We're ah. not a jamming band. We yep. don't come come up with ideas and that. But I find it. I don't really like rehearsing at the best of times, because um, I find playing the same song over and over again kind of starts to make me feel like it doesn't it doesn't inspire me. Um, but uh, so I tend to sit on my own and write the idea, then take it to Garrett, and then everybody. So, but Johnny is is doing writing as well. But you guys don't typically write together. As we will a, write together for. We've written together for, with a, for a lot of other artists. We've written together. Right. Okay. Um, we we did a few writing sessions for the Snow Patrol record. One of the songs that we um, we did together made this record. That was Empress. Yeah. Um, and uh, but uh, um, everything else on the record ended up kind of being me me starting it and then Garrett kind of me and Garrett. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just. I mean, Johnny is an extraordinary songwriter. I mean, his you know his pedigree is um, well known all around the world, uh, of course. But uh, I think I've just got used to for Snow Patrol stuff. I've just got used to doing it. it's twenty five years next year. Of course, um, I've just got used to doing it by myself and in a way starting it by myself. You know, I tend to I tend to want to do that. Just standing on stage. Um, I kind of want to feel not ownership in a in a in a in a billionaire real estate kind of <laughs> magnet kind of a way, but sure. like I want to feel like this is something that kind of came from came from me. Yeah, and that is special. You know, you said twenty five years, and I guess time is sort of it's the way we perceive it. But for you, was it like oh that twenty five years went by in a flash, or are you like fuck it was a long time? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny it's funny uh, yeah there's there's i think both are, um because there's part of me that thinks she's worded all that go um and then there's other part of me very well aware of that the time was moving very slowly at times especially in the last five five years mm. time moved very slowly i thought there wouldn't be another snow patrol record uh, at a lot of times i thought that i wasn't going to be able to write songs anymore for snow patrol i didn't know why i didn't know where the songs were I didn't know where the lyrics were. Couldn't find them. 
Well, I mean, with that, with writer's block, I, I guess my question is, is there any parts of the process of that, like that you've found in these last seven years that have helped with sort of battling writer's block and finding those lyrics again? Is it, is it just workmanlike? Like I just have to force myself to do it or were you waiting for something to sort of move you and feel like you needed to write it down? Um, yeah, there's a lot more work went into this record than any other snow patrol record. Sure. <laughs> um, and I definitely needed to do to to do that work. Um, there wasn't it wasn't going to happen any other way. But there was also moments of inspiration that made the work e- made the work made me the knowledge I was going to have to work hard easier. Mm. Um, a youth written in fire, don't give in. Were both written in a flash, written in like a burst of inspiration. Youth written in fire. I mean, I've spoken about it was written inspired by. Nick, the Nick Cave song Jesus Alone which I listened to on repeat and then something just started to jar loose in me and I realized that I was there was there was words about to happen mm. um, and uh, Garrett being the extraordinary producer that he is left me be for half an hour and uh, and in that half an hour I wrote the song it started to finish uh, no lines drawn through lyrics not, no editing you know which is has become a big part of my uh, songwriting process. A lot of <laughs> lines rubbed out or like really, really hardly rubbed out so that <laughs> no one could ever see them again. They're so badly written. Um, and uh, and that song all came at once and it sort of inspired the next kind of phase of the, of the writing. And a few years before that, Don't Give In kind of happened in the same way and that inspired a whole bunch of writing too. Um, although a lot slower on both occasions, you know, the, the songs that come after it. Yeah. Sort of think, oh, well, I've cracked it now. The next, I'm going to write the next five songs in Here 30 minutes each. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't come, and you realize that that was just a, an aberration of sorts. You talked about uh, you know scratching it out so no one can see what the the lyrics were as you work through it. Do you find in demoing and sort of early stages of songs, you're very you're comfortable being vulnerable and showing, or do you need to have it sort of more finished to in order to present? Oh, I've shown I've shown people I, to to. Uh, to the detriment of my mental health, I've shown people uh, songs at times when uh, they are well before finished yeah. and that I shouldn't have shown them. And so I'm um, hoping for a reaction that was uh, positive. <laughs> and then it's it's like, uh, yeah, okay, well. Mm. <laughs> and and then your heart's broken and you, uh, you, you know, so I, I have to get better at that. It's sort of knowing when at uh, the time to play somebody a song because you can't if you're going to take five years to make a record you've got to play somebody something at of some course, point yeah it's not going to be finished but um it maybe has to have you know uh, maybe not the the top top hat and cane but at least the shirt buttoned up you know you know <laughs> at the very least can't come out in a pair of underwear and just <laughs> yeah, like exactly. yeah here i am um on our show we've talked to actually tom chaplin from keen about his addiction issues and frank turner's been on the show and he's been sort of open about his stuff mm-hmm. um it seems like dependency is a reoccurring theme i think maybe creatives in general anyone that's sort of like sensitive and attuned to certain things but have you ever drawn that connection sort of in, and what reasons would you think this keeps happening um, I think, you, you know, we, to, to write songs, you got, uh, to do it correctly, you've got to break yourself. You cannot write a great song, um, without feeling as deeply as you possibly can. You can't, you can't do it. It can't be done. Um, you can write 
hits like that. You can re- mm. I'm not saying the songs can't be big, but you can't write great songs without doing that. And I think the people that try to write great songs are the people that are going far as far into the fire as possible. And I think eventually you can get consumed by it. Um, I certainly felt like that many times. I'm not suggesting for one minute that I am a great songwriter, by the way, just for anyone that's listening. I'm just saying that the pursuit of a great song is different from the achievement of a great song. Sure. Um, but, uh, uh, and, you know, and I, 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 I think that I've, at the times when it's worked, you feel like uh, 10 feet tall. You feel like a titan. You feel they were more than 10 feet tall. They weren't real as well, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, and the times when it doesn't work, you you feel the inverse. You know, you feel so small, so insignificant, so um, useless, uh, um, impotent. You feel like you can't contribute to society, to your friends, to your family, to the your bandmates. You feel. Th- you've isolated yourself because you feel like you're some kind of you're you're like um, some sort of leper that you can't uh, you shouldn't be around people because they might catch what you have you feel all these things that make you feel sort of insignificant and and low and I've I've been there many times with songwriting and I can completely understand why people go to the furthest extreme um, because I felt like doing that myself um, I've just had people intervene at the right times for me. Um, and I'm so grateful because I'm so glad to be alive. And if you live in that state too long, you know, it actually becomes perpetual in a way that actually seems bigger than it is and it's indefinable i think in a lot of ways if you've never been through it or you don't feel it it's hard to explain it like you said people are like oh why can't you feel the love and the fact that all these people think you're amazing it's like if you could you would and it would be Mm -hmm. easy but it's 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 something that i guess isn't easy you know otherwise people would just sort of get out of their their bad spots yeah because i feel it now i feel that um i feel so connected to my bandmates and my family, my friends, um, to the fans of the band again. Um, they've been so positive about this record. Uh, I, I mean, I feel it all now. But but uh, um, you know, there are times when you when when you're disassociated from it. Sure. What's the difference, I guess, as you've sort of gone through this 25 year career now and you've been on the road a ton? Is there a large difference between touring then and touring now and sort of your your outlook and mental health and all of that? Yeah, I'm actually trying to protect my mental health now. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a consideration before. No, I didn't even realize that <laughs> I needed to. You know, that it was something that needed to be to to be maintained. I think. Uh, now I realize that it is. I mean, it's a kind of an everyday effort. You have to make that effort if you want to stay vigilant and stay stay on top of it. Um, I do all the practices that have uh, have become very familiar in my day, and even then, sometimes you feel you don't feel great. But I never have gone back to the to that dark place again. You know, but since I've been doing the stuff, I meditate, I, I do qigong, I every day um, and uh, uh, you know I, I try and stay fit and healthy e- eating right is uh, 
as you can see from my face today, it's covered in eczema. Um, it's not easy on <laughs> it's not easy on the road, but um, but sometimes uh, the, the, the things like that come up, you know, and you just have to kind of um, uh, not let it get you so down that it's uh, that it's um, it's going to take you back down into that place again. I, I feel just so an ocean away from where I was. I really do, and I'm I'm so glad. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, I think as well, just releasing a record after such a long time of yeah. not has really, really helped. Because a lot of that feeling, all those feelings were because of inertia. And yeah. Actually having um, some momentum is very helpful. Well, speaking of this record, you mentioned uh, Jackknife Lee, who you're referring to as Garrett. Yes. But for our listeners, Jack Knife uh, Lee is like a very amazing sort of uh, celebrated producer, and he's yep. worked on many of your records and this latest one, obviously. Actually, I, I heard that uh, in another interview that Empress, a song you mentioned earlier in our conversation, uh, was inspired by his daughters. Yes. Yeah. So I guess I'm just interested in sort of that relationship. And what's his like methodology in the studio? Why does he work for you? And what's the attraction to keep working with him? Aside just from the friendship, because it seems well, like you guys are close. We're very close. His music. daughters, his daughters are my goddaughters, yeah. and um, and Johnny McDade and I are co co godfathers. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, I've known him since they were born, or the, um, his eldest was born. Um, uh, so that's that's sixteen sixteen years, um, and we've been working together since then, and we've worked through. Not just every Snow Patrol record, but Tired Pony as well, and we've done a whole bunch of stuff from. He's movies. your guy. Yeah, we worked on other people's records, Taylor Swift's record together. And I, I mean, it, it's uh, he's he's the. It's difficult to explain uh, for anyone that I'm sure there's people listening that know uh, what a producer does. Um, if people don't know what they do, it's it's kind of hard to explain because there's so many different types of producer. Sure, there's ones that literally don't even come to the studio um and uh, uh like they maybe arrive on the first day and then don't come for the rest of the recording session <laughs> yeah, you hear these stories about like rick rubin just laying on a couch yeah there's 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 some, some some celebrated stories of people that and that's their method that you know like not getting in the way not getting in the way of the band's sort of um creativity or whatever i, I don't really believe in that method <laughs> um but it's it's certainly helped make some of the greatest uh, rock and hip hop records of all time. That's for sure. But um, with us, uh, we always kind of needed a kind of a guiding hand in the studio. Um, now, um, now that we have Johnny in the band uh, for these last ten years, uh, we have someone that's extraordinary with uh, the technological side of things. But certainly, when we were first starting out and all through the first phase of the band, none of us even knew really how to. Um, work the equipment yeah, you don't know what you don't know else. yeah we and we certainly we knew we we didn't know a lot um <laughs> and uh um garrett just from the get-go um it's just a um a lover of music in a way that you don't necessarily you'd think you would run into um a lot of them like people that just lived breathed every atom of their life was revol revolved around music um Garrett is somebody that is sort of just immersed every day. He's finding new music, seeking out new music, seeking out old music, buying yeah. vinyl every day. Um, and uh, so when you go into his 
studio you're kind of not just making a record you're also listening to these treasures that you know he's finding like deleted albums from the <laughs> 70s and like we're listening to a lot of um african music william onyabar fella cootie we're listening to peter gabriel we're listening to like early peter gabriel stuff as well as the as well as us and so um we were listening to nick cave we were listening to uh, hip-hop stuff we we're listening to the staples singers we we're you know we we're uh pop staples and mavis staples and we we're, you know we the 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 breadth of the music that we were listening to was extraordinarily wide and and that kind of um i think helps uh keep the inspiration flowing we're not listening you know you don't go in the to make a guitar record and just listen to like sort of you know whatever people are guitar music people are making at the moment um although that was part of it but uh um i think it's important to us to try and move on with each re record um even though those movements may seem small or incremental and we're not exactly um you know we're never going to make that sort of fully sort of dance record or whatever <laughs> right, but there right. are elements that sort of bleed into the music yeah, you can pinch a bit from here from there yeah, exactly and uh, i think that's really that's what he brings he brings not only is he an extraordinary producer and can see the bigger picture he's also really good at the details as well he's plays every instrument um he is you know, in the studio before we get there and stays till after we leave. Man, um, you need those guys. You know, as it seems sort of uh, indefatigable, you know, I mean, and that's, you know, maybe, um, maybe something that you just don't see very often in, in this, in any kind of form of walk of life, you know, um, someone whose passion is kind of, always burning yeah. some kind of olympic torch totally um you've written for film and television um and i also heard that you'd said that uh movies are like your second love next to music like yeah. you love watching movies where does that come from were you like a kid that was at the theater like every weekend when you're growing no, up I, my f I, you know my folks didn't take me to the cinema very often really? i didn't start going to the cinema properly until i was probably old enough to kind of decide for myself you know that's what i wanted to spend my pocket money on yeah but i think the movies that i watched were mostly on tv you know i saw star wars i was born in 70 uh, six and Star Wars was probably on the TV by the time I was five or six, and I think I I, I watched it on the TV and uh, um, you know when we finally got a VHS of it or whatever <laughs> or we recorded from the TV I watched yeah. it a million times um, and the first movie I saw in the cinema my dad took me which is very rare it's the only time I remember my dad ever going to the cinema he took me to see Return of the Jedi wow and uh, so that was my first movie I saw in the cinema. Were you, were you, do you remember like the feeling of like, this is going to be amazing? Like, did you have that excitement? Like, I remember when I was a little kid and my dad would take me to go see like Ghostbusters 2, like all day in grade three, I was doing a little two symbol and <laughs> I was fucking jacked. And then it's like, those memories are so visceral and you remember them forever. Did, did you have that with Return of the Jedi and going to a theater and sitting in yeah. a seat and the lights going down? Yeah, I remember, I remember every part of it. Yeah, I remember, I remember popcorn. I remember sitting with my dad, like sitting with my dad in the cinema was, is a complete unique experience because I, I it only happened the once it is sort of um, frozen in amber in my mind as this as this amazing moment father and son movement yeah. moment because I think all the things that he uh, 
a lot of the things that he loves to do, he, you know, he's kind of um, fixing stuff around the house and working on the car and things like that, which I just wasn't interested in. Um, and so uh, um, we used to fish together, um, which is another kind of thing that we did, which um, I really enjoyed. Um, but he shot um, like uh, pheasants and ducks and things like that. And I, I don't, I would never shoot something and make it dead I, I, I also understand the hypocrisy of eating meat and not being willing to do that sure. I completely understand that hypocrisy <laughs> I'm just if it makes me a wuss then I'm a wuss I don't care about that I, I, I don't I, I just don't want to I, I think from an early age and anything that I saw a cartoon of I'm not willing to take out of this world yeah <laughs> There's too many ducks and cartoons. I was like, no, 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 I'm not yeah. one of them. Um, so you know, he would take me on like shooting trips and stuff like that. But I would, I think, I would probably pout for most of it. Sure, not your scene. <laughs> That's interesting. Just the idea of like, you know, our fathers and mothers like sort of having these things that they're into and wanting to sort of bond with their kid over it but if you're not into it you're not into it like i can't do shit with my hands and my dad's like really good with his hands like he could fix a car he could put up a shelf mm-hmm. and it's like the, i'm not that's not the kind of thing that I, that I do or that i'm necessarily good at or willing to learn but i think sometimes it's always like it's like yeah oh am i letting down a parent by not being interested in their interests but then it's not really a responsibility like where do you meet in the middle you know and, and where do you find that bonding point with a parent yeah i used to get really jealous our next door neighbor um gareth uh was um uh really good uh, uh like from he was my age and he he, he uh, right from he was a kid he was all about cars everything was cars. Oh, okay so him and my dad would kind of uh, he would kind of be over like looking at my looking at my dad's car and he'd be showing him things and I'd be like sort of trying kicking a football around the garden thinking oh she's my dad's got another kid um so yeah so I think only in those times when I sort of felt a jealousy which is obviously a very sort of negative thing but uh, uh, um, I, then I'd probably go over and get like interested until like a board which is yeah, probably exactly. 30 seconds later with that carburetor uh, yeah okay, yeah I'm bored now yeah exactly um well speaking of sort of placement of songs in film and television chasing cars and Grey's Anatomy was mm. this sort of I think huge moment uh, for North America for you guys yeah I guess my question would be were you consciously trying to get plays? Did you know the minute it went in that you're like, this is going to be very big for us? Or was it like anything else? Like, oh, we're in a, some TV show in America and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, because I, I hadn't watched Crazy Anatomy. I think people think that I uh, have something to do with the show. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> yeah. they ask me, so, like, you're Crazy Anatomy guy. I'm like, yeah, it no, doesn't work that way. But you were probably trying to get songs placed. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, we, we had, uh, you know, our publisher was, uh, you know, has a sync team to get like uh syncs as they're called um synchronization to get on tv and film and um we were um we were probably uh, in amongst a hundred other songs to to get that slot in uh gray's anatomy and uh um they picked us and um and then they they then they send you know they ask for uh, authorization from us and we say yeah sure um, I, the only thing I've ne- I've said no to um, throughout our careers is adverts. I won't I won't ever do adverts. You don't want to be in like a thirty second commercial. I don't want to be in commercial. Um, but uh, uh, there was one time, and it was for a music uh, device. Okay. Which I thought, oh, that's appropriate. Um, but we've been asked loads of times 
uh, for like uh, cars and things. Sure. I just I don't want to be. I don't want a song to be um, associated with that. But TV and film is something I watch all the time, and I would be a hypocrite if I was to say no. Right. You can't use it in a TV show. Why? Why not? Um, and uh, so it went on the show, um, and then it was you know it was the middle of the night in the UK when it when it aired in America uh, and, and and Canada, and it was uh, we woke up the next morning and our Jason Cars was outside the top hundred on the when American I char, I, <laughs> iTunes chart, and it was number one when we woke up. Yeah. Uh, that's insane. It's one of those experiences that's so rare, like literally. And you guys had you'd been together. You'd had this band since '94. Yeah. So then we're we're jumping ahead a decade, I guess, about right. And then to have that kind of like whatever I'm doing air quotes overnight success, like you said, to go from outside the top 100 to number one. Yeah. Well, I mean, we you know, Final Straw, which came out in 2004, had been a hit in uh, around Europe and had been yes. had had got to like gold status here was about half a million copies uh, in the states which is a which is a hit as far as we were concerned it's totally. massive compared to what we'd th- done before um so we were having some success and playing bigger and bigger venues and then eyes open came out in the, in the uk and uh, and around europe and stuff and went to number one and it was, it was exciting but it hadn't kind of quite got there yet in the states and then it Grey's Anatomy kind of pushed it over the over the over the line, and it, things went mental for us for, for for after that. You know, the final straw tour was uh, um, was about eighteen months, year and a half. Um, the the tour after Eyes Open, Hundred Million Sons, Hundred Million Sons tour. I can't say my own <laughs> album titles. Hundred Million Sons. Um, that was about the same. Um, so compare that to the Eyes Open tour, which went on for over two years. You know, just because dates just kept getting added and added and added because we were more and more places kind of started to open up for us and. And it, yeah, just uh, chasing cars had a massive impact, and Grey's Anatomy was a big part of that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's it was the song that kind of took us around the world, and yeah. we just followed it like yeah. kind of puppies. And uh, and it was great because we got to play places we'd never we'd never played before. You know, we got to play um, big places in the states for the first time, um, and we got to play in Southeast Asia and South America, and you know few times in australia that's the sort of beauty of those not like a cheat code but a break that big is then all of a sudden you're in all of these situations that maybe you wouldn't have been with yeah i know and and you know we've we've had songs on tv shows sometimes we've had sure. songs on Grey's anatomy since then you know what i mean and they just they've not had that impact it's still one of those things yeah that just perfect like confluence this, it was a confluence of events it was the last song on the second season which i believe was their biggest season that scene was like a big and moment I, I think everybody died or something yeah, like yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, like yeah, the yeah. whole cast died at that moment <laughs> and uh, and you know people were like you know sort of emotionally attached to it and and it sort of you know it, it it kind of took off but but we've been on so many shows since then and before then that it doesn't didn't have that resonance you know so it's not like it's not like um getting on a tv show immediately helps your career it was just that was a kind of a one in a million yeah show. it's an unrepeatable sort yeah. of thing or everyone would do it i imagine right. um 
as we wrap, we talked a bit uh, uh, about your father, and uh, I was watching the video for Soon, uh, yeah. which uh, it was a really sort of like, it resonated with me, the video, and I thought it was a really interesting choice, and it seemed very personal to you. Obviously, it was your home movies. You're watching these movies with your dad. Yeah. And it got me thinking about the idea of sort of like looking back and the way that sort of people... Um, deal with nostalgia and just how they frame their own lives. Are you someone who tends to maybe look back at the past and like, like often do you visit it? Does it inform sort of your present or are you someone that likes to look forward and sort of stay very present and go, I, I don't really want to unpack, you know, these memories, these things that make up my life. The, one of the biggest problems in my life, I think uh, has been either dwelling on the past or worrying about the future. And it's something I've tried to address sure. um, in recent years. Since I got sober a couple of years ago, I've really tried, you know, I think with the, the various practices that I've been doing, it's kind of helped kind of um, ground me a little bit more in the present. But it's still, you know, sometimes I get, you know, one lost. And I you know, even developed kind of OCD over the years um, where I, you know, kind of loop on something that I'm worried about and then it becomes this big thing yeah. that, you know, what's the point in worrying about it? There is no point. However, you're, that's, try telling that logic to your, <laughs> to your looping brain. It's yeah, the, exactly. It's caught in that, you know, it's the record <laughs> skipping, you know, you're coming back to that same place again and again. So, um, so I think in the past I've, that, I've struggled with that a, a hell of a lot, looking, looking at the, uh, looking at the past and looking, worrying too much about the future. But as time goes by now, um, I'm feeling a lot more rooted in the, in what's actually happening in the present moment. Um, in terms of nostalgia, which is slightly rosier thing, a slightly sure. different thing. Um, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it from time to time. I'm actually thinking about writing a book um, about Snow Patrol, seeing it's 25 years next year. I wanted to write, um, I wanted to kind of write a warts and all kind of retelling of our, um, of our story and let all the people that, um, band, you know, band member that, um, uh, we part of company with on not great terms sure. and uh, management that we've part of company with on not great terms and things like that. Let people tell their stories the way they the way they feel them, the way they feel them still, and the way the way they felt them at the time. Would you reach uh, out to? And I will, yeah. So they've had their I, side of events, exactly, your side 100%, of events. Hundred percent. I'd want to do it. I'd want to do it in the right way. Um, I don't think it's fair to kind of gloss over or make some kind of. Um, uh, rose-tinted spectacles sure. retelling of a career. And then it was great, and then we went to this, and it was great, and yeah, then yeah. we had a little bit of a setback, but then it was great again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I think people would be far more interested to hear what actually went on rather than, um, you know, a version of it that uh, leaves out the tougher stuff. But um, I haven't done it yet, so don't hold me to it or anything, but, um, but I'd really love to do it. Um, uh, so in that sort of sense... Um, yeah, I, I will be looking back at the past, I guess. But hopefully, I'm able to see it now better than I actually saw it when it happened. Because yeah. I think I was just writing it like um, some of the times, like uh, the guy in um, Doctor Strange Love for the bomb in the bomb, just waving my hat, going, "Whatever happens, happens." Um, and uh, you, yeah, you don't have much control over it when you're kind of on tour, kind of constantly. Um, and uh, I think that that was part of the problem is feeling that lack of control. Joel Walsh from the Eagles. I don't know if you ever saw that documentary about the Eagles, but 
he has that this quote and he's quoting somebody and I forget who the original quote was, but he's like, when you're living your life, it sort of seems like chaos. And it's only when you're at the sort of the back end and you look back that it looks like this like finely crafted novel. It's like mm. the tapestry is perfect. But when you're in it, it's like, what the fuck? What? Okay. And you don't know because you can't contextualize it when you're in it. But when you look back, you go, oh, it's like a perfect novel that was supposed to happen. And that happened and it led to this. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. I, d- I wouldn't cha- I wouldn't change I wouldn't change anything, really. I wouldn't change the 10 years that we had um at the start of no hits, no success, sleeping <laughs> in the back of the van on top of the gear or sleeping we used to ask people in the audience if we could sleep on their sure. floor and um that people would let us sleep on their living room floor for the night and uh, uh you know um planned out one person um all that stuff. You know, if we had had success, certainly speaking just for myself, if I'd had success right off the bat, uh, I would be forgotten, certainly, by now, if not dead. Um, that's for sure, because I would not have been ready for it. And I think a lot of bands probably aren't ready for it. Um, I don't think anybody's really ready to be successful or famous or um, have a whole bunch of money suddenly um, because if you didn't have any of those things beforehand, how can you be ready for it? You think you're going to be ready for it. A lot of people just want to be famous these days rather than actually want to be famous for something. Um, and I think once it happens, you you realize that that's not what you want. What you want is to actually do something. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, man. All right. Much appreciated. Thank you. That was great. Welcome to the dessert, our first one in quite some time, where our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham, comes in here and uh, lays it down. I don't think I've ever said that before on a podcast. I like it. Yeah. Lay, Fair lay to get down. laid, boys. Lay on us. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, for our listeners, Shane looks... I'm tired. Very tired. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm going to talk about is the live show and then lead into the show we filmed. I just, I just don't want to spoil like <laughs> us all kind of collectively telling our experiences of the live show leading into the Reggie interview in like four episodes. I don't have any story from the live show. Okay. You killed it. My story is just that I like did so well. That's okay, it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So I did very well during the live show. <laughs> I was basically Richard Pryor reincarnated. <laughs> <laughs> And I was feeling very good about it. Yeah. Of course, when you put yourself on a pedestal, mm-hmm. you know, you're bound to come crashing down. So basically, sure. within two days, we had to do the Crave show. I'm pretty high on my own supply, and I go to talk to Mike <laughs> about some ideas that I have for the, <laughs> the Crave show. And then it doesn't go well, that conversation. <laughs> and then Mike and I are, uh, you know, we both suffer from our own unique brand of uh, neurosis. and uh, ne- Or is it neuroses? Whatever. Whatever. And then uh, <laughs> the vibe is just horrible. So then I'm not going to get into it. But I, I call Max. I'm like, listen, I got a real bad feeling about tomorrow. Vibe's going to be bad. He's like, why? I'm like, well, I had this story planned and now I feel like the vibe is ruined for it. He goes, what's the story? I, go, I guess the premise is I was scared of Mike and I did something <laughs> stupid. And Max's like, don't tell it. <laughs> he goes, just, he goes, just don't tell it. 
uh, or save it for later. I go, no, but it, it, once the vibes have smoothed over, I go, we figure out how to do a show. Yeah, yeah. I go, yeah, but we've already come up with a topic and it's the perfect segue. Uh, just to let people know on the Crave show, originally off the top, it was kind of like this formula where we kind of tell little stories and then at the end I have my dessert section. Anyway, I'm like, fuck Max. I go over the story with my wife. I'm like just ignoring the producer like an idiot because again, mm-hmm. I think I know comedy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell this story. Oh, I remember The this. first episode of the Crave show. And this is an important episode because this kind of sets the tone. Needless to say, as I'm sure people listening can predict, the story goes over worse probably than anything I've ever done. <laughs> and on top of that, I had my wife and my stepmother uh, and yeah. my child come in, not only to see the set, but they were a part of my story and I was using them as props, as human props effectively. <laughs> and they're witnessing this go down. Uh-huh. And my stepmom has never ever seen anything to do with the podcast but when she saw that it was on a TV show at first she was excited and then she became mortified once she saw <laughs> how bad I am at actual performing and what people think of my storytelling. No, I mean to we, be fair, all we all sucked and and I was as we mentioned earlier I was, I was very under the weather, and if I have one job, it's to be a bit of a morale guy, keep the vibes good and loose. I was not doing that at all, so I take responsibility. But it was like, all things considered, you told me not to do it because it wouldn't go well. It did not go well. <laughs> you weren't happy with me. Mike wasn't happy with me. No one was happy with me. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, I really got to kill this dessert. So luckily, everyone felt bad for me how bad I did off the top. So I am getting some laughs in the dessert. And tell them what's different about the dessert. You started to, and then you didn't. What I do in the dessert is I tell people about the digital desserts. And often, I try to bring in visual props to help me out. So when I was prepping the show, my wife could tell I was obviously very stressed from the conversation that Mike and I had. So I was just like, I need these props. Can you make sure I have these props? And if the props are wrong, the whole story is fucked. (laughs) But of course, I think the props are going to be right that I have. So I get into telling the story, and I brought a gun and a note. Very loose uh, vibe on set. (laughs) (laughs) You better fucking laugh. As if the tension couldn't get any worse, right? A huge part of this story revolves around the note I have. And I read the note, and the wording's wrong. Mm. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense at all into the story that I'm about to tell. Who wrote the note? Well, that's what I was wondering. I guess I'll explain the note. The the note was something I wrote to the people inside my luggage to justify why I brought a gun to Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> Which on a previous pod we talked about when we talked about uh, my interview yeah. with Chris Red and Shane bringing the gun to do his digital dessert. And then I look at the note. I'm like, this isn't the note I had in my luggage to Montreal. It's like, this is strange. <laughs> this note is way too new. It's not crumpled. But whose handwriting was it? It was my wife's, but then I was like, oh, I might have gotten my wife to write the note, which might be true. (laughs) And then I'm thinking about it for days and days. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I hate to accuse people of something they didn't do. (laughs) But I'm going to do it. But I'm like, my wife rewrote the note. And sabotaged you. To sabotage me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, "Why, why the fuck would she do that? So I'm getting really paranoid. So I call my wife, Alex. I'm like... Alex, this is a stupid question, and don't be offended, but did you rewrite the note I asked you to? She goes, yes, I did. 
<laughs> she's been waiting she's for this phone call. Question for weeks. I'm like, she's like, yep, I admit it. I'm not even scared to admit it. <laughs> she's, I'm like, she's crying. As she I just said hello. I'm like, why would you do that? That's so fucked. My whole story was based around this note being the correct <laughs> note, and she was like, I was scared that you'd get mad. <laughs> And I was like, why would you be scared of me? I was like, <laughs> and I was like, screaming at I was like, this fucked up the whole show. I'm like, this is so important. We only have eight of these shows and each story is so important. This was so relevant. <laughs> and then I was just thinking, I was like, this is so ironic because I had the story about being scared of Mike, which he got mad at. <laughs> and then my wife is scared of me. And then I'm like, ah, oh, and then we had a bigger discussion. Honestly, I, then I was like, okay, the bigger problem hurt is Hurt people, here. hurt people, man. Exactly. And I was like, the bigger... <laughs> The bigger problem is we can't be scared of our friends and family. That's and I was true. like, the problem, I'm not even mad that you changed the note. I'm mad that you're scared to talk to me, to tell me, oh, I've lost the note. And I, I simply would have said, okay, I have a picture of the note. Let's recreate the writing. Because really the important part, it wasn't the, the physical note itself. No, it was the copy. Which I have on phone. my phone because yeah. we took a picture of it for Instagram way back in Montreal. <laughs> so anyway, I thought it was funny in a ironic type of perfect circle way. Yeah. And now our listeners, when you watch the Crave Show, that story, that note and gun bit will stay. They of will course. now know if you listen to this, you're not just one of the randoms on Crave watching it. They'll know the backstory. Well, remember, you guys, I don't know if you do remember, but this was because this was the first episode. But you guys called me out on how weird the note was. You were oh. like, that wording is so weird. Why would you say a very important skit? Oh, and I was like, yeah. remember, I say, but I don't say a very important skit in the real note. I, I, I have this bit about how I have an assistant. And it was very funny that I created a fake assistant for myself. <laughs> but of course, that bit's not there. So you guys are like, haha, you, you wrote a very important skit. And you're kind of making fun of how stupid I am. <laughs> and in the moment, I'm like, haha, yeah, here's why. And I'm explaining why I wrote a very important skit. Even though I know <laughs> I didn't fucking write that. <laughs> And then crew guys are asking me about it, and I'm showing them the note, and we're all having a laugh. And, I, and I, it was like a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. And anyway, I got to the bottom of the mystery, and uh, wow. yeah, I guess Mike and I are a lot more similar than we are different. <laughs> <laughs> got my headphones on. Crave TV, December 21st. <laughs> that's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Gary Lightbody, for coming on. We're back, baby. You can find us at Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you to everybody who's made everything happen with the Crave Show, with the Live Show, just for laughs. Everybody. There's too many people to thank, uh, and hopefully we're just getting started, man. Yeah. A huge thank you to Jenna Gregory and Tara Paquette for putting together the artwork. Webmaster Dan. As always. this thing together. Um, Greg Stewart. Randy Lennox. Give him a show now. Damn straight. And uh, what else? The Mike and Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the week. I got my headphones on from the